morning we'll look at Genesis chapter 29, verses 31 to chapter 30, verse 24. And our theme is Desperate Housewives. I didn't, it's not my original title, I have borrowed it from somebody else. <coughs> I'm sure that you're quite familiar with, with, the, uh, with one of the trends of television in the last 10 years, I suppose, and that is the emergence of the so-called reality TV. Uh, reality TV is supposed to be about real life and all of this, but as you probably gather, a lot of it is stage. And unless your life is, is abnormal in some ways, you're not going to make it. Not, that you, I'm no show material. I'm, I'm just a boring old pastor who, you know, just goes along with life. So there's not enough material here to make an exciting series that goes on and on. But apparently they do go out there and they do find people whose lives are, are interesting and if they're not, they probably pump it up somehow to make it a bit more interesting. Some of it is good, a lot of it is pretty bad. One of the bad ones is called Desperate Housewives. The, the franchise is around all different cities around the world. They've even got one in Melbourne, apparently. Uh, and uh, the, the viewer is taken to their everyday lives. Everyday lives. However... From the ads, I'm led to believe that these liberated women are married to different husbands. I'm pretty sure they don't show them mopping or cleaning toilets. Um, the normal stuff, they probably get their husbands to do that. No, they have servants and other people that uh, help and all of that. They do spend... What I believe, uh, they spend their time in hair salons and parties and gossiping and fighting against each other. The only desperation seems to be wanting to outdo each other and, and that's, a, that's what sort of keeps the ratings up. Now, the passage this morning, we also have desperate housewives in all their glory. You will find it hard to make some of this stuff up. If, if, if you're trying to describe, as Moses was writing this, as he's leading these people from Egypt to the Promised Land, through the wilderness, he has to keep them motivated about where they've come from and what a proud nation they are. And then you come and tell them stories like this. Well, that's not very encouraging, is it? It, it reads like a reality to thee except that these women are married to the same man. Our dashing, remember last week? Our dashing Johnny Bravo, Jacob. He spends his day in the fields working day in, day out, paying off his expensive, very expensive dowry for his wives Seven years for Leah, he was duped on that. And then Rachel, 14 years. Jacob, the father of 12 sons, is 
suddenly his, his figure, if you thought that the Bible in Genesis portrays our patriarchs in some glorious way, you, hopefully through this series you, you understand that they're just normal, sinful, average. But the God that they worship is extraordinary in so many levels. If I was God, I would have zapped them. Zip, start again. Zip, start again. Just like a video game, just hit the reset button, you know? Start again. Not God. Persists. Doesn't give up. So, Jacob, this dashing Arnold, Wonderful human being. Last chapter, here he is reduced, he shrunk to becoming like an old bull in a paddock. Simply begetting more and more children. That's his role now. That's it. Matt in his farm has got a bull called Reg. I think we could call him Reg instead of Jacob. I don't know if you, if you noticed or not, but there is a lot of, just as I was talking about the, the, these men, there's a lot of defeat and failure in, in, in these chapters in, in Genesis. Isaac lost his eyesight. Esau lost his birthright. Rebekah lost her favourite son. Now Rachel lost to her older sister Leah who was able to marry Jacob first and Leah lost to Rachel because Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. Everybody seems to be on this losing streak. And God, despite all these failures, continues to work through them. But defeat is never final. That's, that's the beauty of it all. Defeat is never final because through all these failures, God is, is threading his golden thread of salvation. Amazing, isn't it? Amazing. Yes, this chapter does describe the origin of the mighty nation of Israel. This is where the 12 tribes of Israel began with the accounts of the births of 11 sons and a daughter. You should be familiar with the names. They do continue to appear from Genesis all the way to Revelations. You will read about these, these names. Remember that the original setting, like I said, is Moses explaining the origins of the people that is leading to the promised land. And you folk, as he's saying to them, you are named after your founder, Israel, Jacob. No, not a story to inspire confidence in your lineage. There is no room for pride in the flesh, but there is room for trust in God. So let's look at the sibling rivalry 
Chapter 29, verse 31, sibling rivalry. Now the Lord saw that Leah was unloved and he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. We are familiar with the boys, the brothers not getting along. We had Cain and Abel. We have Jacob and Esau. Now it's two sisters. Last week's episode, it was Laban who decided that both his daughters should become the wives of Jacob. They were not consulted on the matter and simply had to go along with it. We should be thankful that in our culture in in Australia, it is not like that. In fact, I think we, we have actually swung in the opposite direction. Before, it was the parents who chose. It's still that way in some parts of the world where the parents choose who their kids will marry. I think in our culture in Australia, we've swung the other way where the parents are not consulted at all. It's almost like they're... Uh, by the way, Dad, here's your invitation to the wedding. If you want to turn up, that is. Imagine this scenario. Two desperate sisters married to the same man. One desperate for love, the other desperate for children. Your husband prefers one of you over the other. Furthermore, each of you is desperate for what the other has. And from the beginning of the story, the tension continues to build up and up. And there I am as, as a kid reading through this stuff and through the lessons in, in Sunday school. And as you read the Bible, you obviously you start in Genesis and you just want to get the popcorn out. And thought, this is getting juicy. Wow. This is interesting as the drama unfolds. And when Moses says that Leah was unloved, literally the word is hated, but it doesn't mean Jacob hated her or didn't love her. It means that he loved her less than he loved Rachel. He loved Rachel more. He was in love, deeply in love with his sister Rachel, the one that he saw at the well. As a result, the God who throughout the scriptures favours the underdog calls Leah to bear children first. Meanwhile, Rachel, who was the love of Jacob's life, remains childless. She's barren. As a result, she focused on her infertility as the one big problem in her life. We tend to be like that, aren't we, in in so many different levels, but not at the level at which a woman who's unable to conceive usually is. For us blokes, it's a little bit hard to understand, as a lot of their identity, that was in the past, by the way, when only women were able to have children, but that in the future is going to change, apparently. No, no. A lot of the identity goes along with childbearing. It couldn't have been easy for Rachel watching Leah having babies one after the other, after the other. 
She she comes up outside. They all live in this compound. On one end, you've got Rachel. On the other end, you've got Leah. And there's babies running everywhere. And there's nappies being hung up. This is the days before disposables, by the way, so just to have to wash the nappies. No, you girls don't remember that. Okay. Kids crying, running around everywhere. Her nephews crawling and running around the compound. It'd be hard for Aunt Rachel to say nice things, wouldn't it? Every time that Leah's Rachel, there's Leah, Leah's pregnant, then Rachel, man, she'd just be seething, jealousy. But you see, the issue wasn't so much her infertility as much as she made it out to be the biggest problem. It was, as you, as you read these pages, it was actually Rachel's spiritual shallowness which is the problem. She didn't have a very deep spiritual faith. She sought a solution to her problem. We're going to look at some of those. And she felt that if she only had a child that all her problems would be fixed, that she would be fulfilled as a human being. Let me say something here that I see often and not just It doesn't just happen here in Australia. It happens in many parts of the world, obviously. There is a mistaken notion out there that having children will somehow give you an identity, that you will be a a whole person once you're able to do that which you haven't been able to previously do. That somehow you will be fulfilled, even as Christians, that you will not be happy, you will not find joy until you're able to fall pregnant and have kids. Not only that, there is also the the mistaken notion that having children, especially for marriages that are struggling, that having children will strengthen weak marriages. He won't leave me if I give him children. There is the... uh, that, you know, that on the one hand, you, 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 you see your marriage falling apart and you're saying, I have to lock him in somehow. And it's sad. It's sad to actually consider bringing these kids, these children into an environment where they're more like a, a patch and you're putting all these expectations on this child to fix problems that were already before that were even conceived and came into the world. But yes, the scripture does teach that children are a blessing from the Lord. Psalm 127 tells us that. But it does not guarantee that those children will be the solution to all or any 
individual problems that the marriage has or that the, the mom or the dad has, that somehow they will become complete. Having children is not absolutely essential to a happy marriage or to a relationship to the Lord. We live in a culture that tends to idolise so many things. You see the, the memes on Facebook and everything. It's, my children are everything. They are everything to me. Or my husband is everything to me. Or my wife is everything to me. It basically, you're turning your children into idols. You're turning your husband into an idol. You're turning your wife into an idol. It's called idol worship. It's idolatry. It's sinful. Our ultimate joy is in the Lord, not in our children. This needs to be well and truly grasped. If you have not been able, if you haven't had any children yet, or if you've not been able to have children yet, please understand that. Find your complete joy in the Lord. And it needs to be truly grasped because many of us have prioritised our children over our spouse, over our God, over a church. It's not good. We have to admit this. So we look to solutions to fix what is the main issue, the main problem. We go... There's, a, there's an elephant in the room and we try and, 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 and address all these, these different issues or tinker around the edges but not address the central core, which is the root of the problem. So let's learn from Rachel as she, in her desperation, sought different solutions to her problem. So let's, let's look at her and see if we can find ourselves in here. Where did she look? Rachel looked to man, verses 1 and 2. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, Give me children or I'll die. Jacob became angry with her and said, Am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? By this stage, Rachel is hysterical. Rachel lets... Jacob have it with both guns blazing. This, her, this is a petulant demand, give me children or I'll die. It's, it's a temper tantrum, isn't it? Demanding from Jacob what he cannot give her. He doesn't seem to be the problem. He's Plumbing is working okay, if you understand what I'm saying, because she's is able to bed with somebody else. Okay, let's not go there. She is, however, conveying her emotional state. I have to have children. I'm hurting right now. This is where my identity comes from. Let me say, and let me issue a warning here, 
that in our desperation, in our emotional state that we sometimes find ourselves, be very careful of the words that you use. Let me remind you how Rachel died. It was in childbirth, giving birth to Benjamin, her second son, that she dies. It is, it's almost as if she's actually, in these words, she's declaring her own judgment on herself. Now, Rachel will not die if she is not to have children. Life is much more, like I said, about having children. Jesus had no children. Paul had no children. Influential people in our day, like the late John Stott and many wonderful people who have gone onto the mission field as single men and single women have had no children and their lives have been enormously rich and fulfilling, had tremendous impact for the kingdom and if they had not been able to have physical children, they certainly had many spiritual children through God's grace and power. Ultimately, that is what matters. Now, Jacob loved his wife Rachel and certainly wanted her to have children, but Jacob was not God. He knew it. Here is another situation where good old Jacob... The old scheming Jacob is confronted with the helplessness of not, of not being able to fix this somehow, not being able to do anything. So he responds in a frustrated and angry manner. Remember, this is Jacob that loved Rachel so much. Am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? Woman! And you can add the rest. I'm sure Moses is summarising here. I can't do anything more than I'm already doing. Please, understand. What do you want me to do? Guys, I know. I'm going to talk to the blokes now, husbands. We do have a tendency, got to admit it, we do have a tendency to get angry when we don't have answers and can't easily fix things. When the wife comes with a problem, the tap's not, you know, it's leaking. Can you fix the tap? Yeah, yeah, oh, I can do that. It just might take me three or four weeks, but I'll do it eventually. The car's not stopping. Well, I'll fix it somehow. Take it to a mechanic. No, don't worry, I want to save money. Take it to a mechanic. We, we, what happens with the blokes is we tend to go immediately into problem-solving mode. Fix things. That's what we do. However, we soon discover that here, Rachel didn't want her Problem solved, if you look deeper, she just wanted, in her frustration, she wanted somebody to understand and empathise with her. 
Empathy, guys. Remember that word? Empathy. Look it up. Rachel didn't need a lecture on theology or gynecology. She needed a hug, a gentle, loving understanding of her husband, the assurance of his love for her. In fact, I think Jacob should have followed the example of her, of his father Isaac when Rebekah had been barren. What did Isaac do? He prayed. He prayed for his wife. She said, honey, let's sit down and let's pray. Let's pray about this. That's what Isaac did. And God blessed them with children. Unfortunately, thus far in the story, there are no prayers mentioned. And so Rachel goes into seeking solutions to the issue. Rachel, firstly, Rachel looked to her culture, verses 3 to 8. Then she said, here is Bilah, my servant. Sleep with her so she can bear children for me and I too can build a family through her. Guess who did that? Sarah and Hagar. Remember that? That was culturally accepted that the servant, the slave, will be a surrogate for the children. So the children could be born through them for the wives who were the servants and then it just took the name of the family. Not sure how it helps Rachel, however, when her maid Billa conceives two children and Leah's mates conceives two more sons. It seems everyone in the compound seemed to be having children except Rachel. So the cultural conventions of the time didn't help Rachel and her peace of heart the providence of God. doesn't matter what is culturally acceptable out there. What is culturally acceptable is not necessarily right. Is it? Abortion, euthanasia probably will be legalised soon. Abortion certainly is already legal. But that doesn't change the nature of the sin or the act. It is a sin. Whether the majority approve of it or not, it is still a sin. So she looked to the culture. Secondly, she looked to magic, verses 14 to 15. She looked to magic. During wheat harvest, Reuben went out into the fields and found some mandrake plants which he brought to his mother Leah. Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, wasn't enough that you took away my husband, will you take my son's mandrakes too? Very well, Rachel said. Uh, he can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes, okay? Let's cut a deal here. The, the wives negotiating, and you thought polygamy was a great idea, right? Let's just bring it on. Because it's going to be a wonderful household. <laughs> so Rachel now turns to magic and superstition. Even today, we have people from many different cultures here. It happens in Paraguay, I'm sure it happens in Africa, it happens in Asia. 
And even in the West, you see those, those shops with palm reading and tarot cards and crystals and all of that? Barren women, women who are infertile, unable to, ha- to have children, they look to witch doctors, they look to spells, concoctions and everything else to fix the problem. She sees her young nephew Reuben, one of the Leah's little boys, running in from the field from the wheat harvest with a, this rare plant called a, the mandrake to his mum. They are euphemistically known as love apples, aphrodisiacs, all that type of stuff. Improves fertility. You get the idea. Rachel, so desperate to conceive. Anything, anything, I will do anything, any humiliation. So she actually lowers herself which she wasn't able to do before. She lowers, humbles herself and goes to her sister Leah and begs her, please give me some of your son's mandrake. Cap in hand, even to her sister, to ask for these love apples. Leah is enraged. Is there no end to your wickedness? You've stolen my husband from me. Now you're going to steal my boy's fruit as well. There's no way that Rachel's going to get anything from her sister unless she gives something back. So, the deal is that conjugal relations that apparently had stopped up to that point between Leah and Jacob be restored. Those are the terms for the mandrakes as these women try to negotiate. And there's the old bull just, I've been reduced to a piece of meat. Nobody cares about me anymore. Okay, I'll go with you. Uh, Jacob, patriarch. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Can you see it? This is a patriarch. This is Israel here we're talking about. So what happens with a magic potion? Nothing. Nothing at all. Except that Leah again, she turns around and falls pregnant again. Three more times. He's a car, Zebulun and then uh, Dina. And Rachel left empty-handed, no baby in the crib, Nothing. When will she learn that she has no other recourse than to turn to God? Verses 22 to 24. Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and enabled her to conceive. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph and said, May the Lord add me another son. God remembers Rachel. How do we know this? Because we are told he listened to her. Why would he listen to her unless Rachel started pleading to God? She started praying. 
which she should have done a long time ago. So she was finally looking to him and was, and you know, spoke to God about her problem, humbly, with faith. Tried all these other stuff, all these other remedies, came to nothing. Now she speaks to the one who can actually do something about it. Birth was not accomplished by human action, but by God remembering Rachel. Yes, Rachel had to wait 14 years before conceiving her first child. It's a long time. Yet we see that God came through for her. The time of trial, the time of teaching, and God came through for her and opened her womb and gave birth to a son called Joseph. While she was focusing on man, she was blind to her own shallowness, her own guilt. She was ungrateful. She felt miserable. She tried to find happiness in that which she didn't have. And with those those times when she was looking everywhere else, God was just basically waiting. How long will it take you to turn to me? Now, I'm not saying that we get every petition answered. Ultimately, we have to submit to his will. Not all prayers will be answered the way we want them. But our prayers have to be God-centred. With thanksgiving, knowing that God does all things well. And for the first time out of Rachel's lips, we hear the word, Lord. May the Lord add me another son. When you have seen how great the Lord is, how do you show it? Well, he's given you one, you pray for another. More grace, more fruit, more blessing. Be thankful for what you have and the Lord will bless you with more. And Rachel, at long last, had a son. And it's not just any son. This is Joseph we're talking about, one of the greatest figures in the Bible. If any human person looked more, was a, a type of Christ in the Old Testament, it would be, it would be Joseph, a beautiful human being. Not perfect, but a great person. And God is faithful to accomplish his purposes, isn't he? And through all the deceitful actions of Laban and Jacob and the jealous hatred of the wives, God is a God of grace. He used all these imperfect, sinful people. If God can work in and through these wicked, impatient individuals, I'm pretty sure that he can work with you and me as long as we let him. But to receive God's best, he expects you to exercise patience and trust in him. The Lord wants you to know that he has to be enough for you in every and every circumstance. When you feel discouraged and defeated, 
He will be there for you when no one else can. Don't turn to mankind. Don't turn to the solutions of this world. Turn to God and he will answer. To him be the glory. Amen.